0: As we began this series last week, uh, we kind of got the the foundation laid as far as our life at work. In that um, you may have a boss that has a corner office, you may have a manager that you report to. um, But as we looked at Colossians chapter 3 last week, what we discovered is that no matter who we work for here on earth, ultimately the one that we work for is our Heavenly Father. And because of that, uh, God. Cares about how we do our work. And God wants us, as we looked at last week, He wants us that that in our work, as well as in our home life, in our social life, in every aspect of our life, that whatever we're doing, God wants us to do it with all our heart and to do it for His glory and for His honor. And we talked about last week how we as children of God, we reflect back on our Heavenly Father. And so our Heavenly Father wants us to work with all our heart to work for his glory and honor. And we talked about this idea that God works in our lives and that he he asks us then to work through you know work in our lives as well and, and that we work for him. And as we talk about that and we set the stage for our working lives and realize that we work ultimately for our heavenly father, today really presents us with a challenge that I think almost all of us face in our day-to-day jobs. And I think this is a challenge that, to be honest, is really difficult for Christians. And I think that this is a challenge that we need to figure out ahead of time so that before we go back into our jobs, before the next time we're confronted with this challenge that we all face, that we need to know how we're going to respond to that challenge. And the challenge is this. What happens when at your job in your workplace, in your industry, what happens at, when at your job you are called upon or expected to do things that are clearly in opposition to Christian living? What are you to do as a Christian when workplace ethics and maybe an, an workplace standards and maybe they're written down standards... Okay? But maybe they're not written down standards. Maybe they're just the, the accepted practice of the industry. What happens when those workplace standards come into conflict, direct conflict, with your Christian ethics and your Christian convictions? How do you handle that? Because I think in our world, the normal thing for Christians to do all too often is to think that I need to basically check my Christian faith and my Christian convictions and principles. I need to check those at the door when I walk into my workplace. When I'm at work, I need to follow those workplace ethics and standards. And then when I leave, I can pick my Christian convictions back up at the door and and continue on with my life. And this is a test, I think, that Christians face on a pretty regular basis. And now... The reason it becomes so difficult for Christians is that, just like everybody else, Christians, they want to do well at their jobs, right? And Christians, just like everybody else, they, they, want to, you know, they want to advance in the workplace. They want to make progress. They want to see gains. But what happens when, generally speaking, right? I think this is the way workplaces generally work. That what happens when the most direct route toward advancement And towards success is, generally speaking, not the most ethical route. How do we handle that as Christians when the most direct route and the, the quickest route to gain and to progress and to acceptance and recognition, what happens when the quickest route and the most direct route tends to not be the most ethical route? How do we handle that? Now, I told you what the normal thing to do is the normal thing is to check those ethics, those principles, those values, and ultimately, right, what we're talking about is faith at the door. Do the work thing and go back to it when you leave. Now this is a really big deal because it's not just Christian principles that we're talking about. It's not just Christian ethics that we're talking about. It's not just Christian values. Because when, when you start to sacrifice the values, the principles, of Christian faith, what you're ultimately putting on the line is your faith. What you're you're eventually ending up saying is, you know what, God, I know that you gave these Christian ethics and principles, but you know what, I don't think I can trust you right now, and so I'm going to do the work thing and then go back to the Christian thing later on, and what we put on the line is faith. Now, this happens, this starts all the way back in high school. I mean, when, when, when high schoolers, when, when you see a group of kids that you want to be a part of, but you realize that you're going to have to do certain things that go against your Christian faith in order to be a part of that group, you bump up against this tension. And this happens on sports teams. When, when you want to be a part of a sports team, but in order to, to be on that sports team, you're going to have to do some things that call into question your Christian faith, what do you do with that tension? You face it through college. You face it into the workplace where you bump up to this time after time after time again. And I'm telling you, if you don't know how to handle the situation, if you don't know what what God has to say about this situation before you get into this situation, we're going to end up doing what comes most naturally and the normal thing, and that is to set aside the Christian faith, do the workplace thing, and come back to the Christian faith. So we want to talk about this morning, how do we handle those types of situations. Now, in order to do that, I'm going to use a familiar section of Scripture, Daniel chapter 3. Give you a little bit of background information before we get to chapter 3, though. Living in a time under a king by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was a really smart guy. He had this habit, he had this way of what he would do is rather than just go to a foreign country and just decimate the place, just wipe everyone off the face of the earth. What he would do is he would go in, he, he'd destroy the, the town, he'd kind of walk in, and he would pick out the best, the brightest, the smartest, the most intelligent of that country, of those peoples, and he would take them back to Babylon. Babylon. And once he brought them back there, he would basically put them through a three-year training program. He would give them new names, give them new clothes, give them a new culture. And essentially, he would take those the best and the brightest and he would make them Babylonian. Because he recognized that the best and the brightest of another country could offer value and significance and advance our society. Okay, So he's a really smart guy. Had that figured out. And that's how we know four Jewish people. Boys, essentially. They were probably 12 to 15-year-old guys when they were taken from Israel, brought back to Babylon. The four guys are Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these were four guys that were brought back to Babylon, put in this training program. Now, this is a really big deal. Because, right, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, about the best life could get when your nation is conquered, is that you wouldn't be killed, that you'd be brought back to the capital city of that nation, and you'd be provided for, right? These guys are in training, so the king wants them to do well. They're provided for. And now, as we're going to pick it up, they're actually high officials in the Babylonian Empire. All right, This is about as good as it could get for these guys. And we would think that there's a lot of pressure on them to not mess this up. Right? These guys are like direct reports to the king. Now, this is King Nebuchadnezzar. In case you're not too familiar with history here, King Nebuchadnezzar is credited with building the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven ancient wonders of, of the ancient world. Right? Nebuchadnezzar is credited with building more structures and more walls and more impressive things than any other individual ruler in ancient times. All right? So these guys walk into the city. They're foreigners, they're strangers, but they're taken care of and they're provided and now they're high up in the government here and they've got tons to lose if they mess this up. So we would think that the pressure's big for them to conform, for them to fall in line, for them to follow workplace standards and ethics even when it conflicts with their faith. And that's exactly what's going to happen to them in chapter 3. Pick it up, Daniel chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. Basically, a couple people weren't real happy with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're going to try and test their faith. They're going to try and get them in trouble. And that's what's going to be going on here. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, this is going to be our little test here of your allegiance, The herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Everybody who's anybody is assembled here in the plain of Dura for this little test of the king. Here's the test. Verse 5. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down, let me give you a little bit of, of incentive here, and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So the test is, all you peoples of other nations, tribes, and religions, in order to test your allegiance to me, the king, and to our gods, I've set up this little statue here, big statue, and now you need to bow down, you need to put your face down in the dirt as a sign of, this God of ours controls your life. Okay? That's the test. You fail the test, it's going to get hot in a hurry. Okay? Not good. I have to wonder how many people caved to the pressure and thought to themselves that they had to do anything in order to save their lives. I wonder how many people had the idea of self-preservation and you just got to do what you got to do in order to survive. Now this is a big deal because we're not talking about just a job here. We're not talking about just an income here. We're not just talking about advancement and promotion here. We're talking about lives here. And you have a whole plane full of people except for three who realize that you just got to do whatever you got to do in order to make it in this world. That's just the name of the game when it comes to life in Babylon right now. But as we're going to find out, not everyone was willing to play by the rules. Verse 7. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, and all kinds of music, all the people's, nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, except for three. And they're going to get called out here by some people who put this test together. Jumping down to verse 12, we pick it up. But there are some Jews, these guys point out. These guys who didn't like the fact that there were Jews that were high up in the government. They point out, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province, province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, "Write tons on the line here, he says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, let's try this again, give you a second shot. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Is the king pretty clear on what's going on here? (laughs) Right? I mean, it's pretty clear. It's pretty obvious. You you, you bow down or you see that crackling fire over there. You see that smoke rising up into the air. That's for you. Okay? This is is really simple. You just do this and live. You don't. You die. I don't think any of us have ever been in that situation at our jobs. I sure hope not. But I think we've been in parallel situations to what's going on here. Times when when the workplace, the job, the manager, the standards of what's there at your job have behind it this idea that you need to do this or else. It's just that simple. I don't care what you believe. I don't care what your convictions are. This is what you gotta do. You gotta be a little bit unethical. You, you got you to gotta do just a little bit of wrong here right now. You've got to give in just a little bit or kiss that promotion goodbye. No vacation. See ya. You might want to start looking for another job because your days here are numbered. And the pressure for us is to start to come up with some reasons why we can justify giving in just a little bit. Can you imagine what it's like for these three young men? This is the king. This is the most powerful man that there is. And can you just imagine everything that could have been going through their minds? I mean, if we could put them up here right now and we could talk to the three of these guys, right, wouldn't we want to say to them, hey, hey, guys, just think about this again. Just hold on here one second and just think this thing through. Come on, right? I know, I know you've got your own God. And I know you're only supposed to worship one God. Come on, guys, just think about this. Follow us through on this. You're supposed to worship your only God. But come on. This is just a wooden structure covered in gold. It's not that big of a deal. It's not a real God. You know that. It's not that big of a deal. And come on, it's, so you just got to compromise a little bit. And think about this. Think about how much good you could do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators of the city of Babylon and advisors to the king of Babylon. Think about the position that you're in. What if? I mean, come on, perhaps someday you will be able to have the king's ear and influence his decisions. And come on, think about all of the people, all of the men, women, and children back in Israel who are in poverty right now. They're starving right now. And maybe someday you could help them out. You just got to give in a little bit here right now and just think of how much good you might be able to do down the road. And there's thousands of ways you could take that argument of doing a little bit of evil, compromising that faith a little bit in order to do a whole lot of good. Then there's, then, right, then, then there's the whole argument of, come on, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, think about this again, right? You're going you're gonna to trust your God? You're going to be faithful to your God? I mean, come on, your God allowed the Babylonians to come in and take your city. And your God allowed the Babylonians to kill lots of your countrymen. And your God allowed you and your friends here to be taken captive and brought back here to Babylon. And now your lives are on the line and you're going to trust your God, right? I mean, this is the whole argument. Why do bad things happen to good people? Come on, God, where are you? When are you going to come through? So we would think that there is just tons of pressure on these guys to conform. That there is tons of pressure on these guys to walk away from their faith in God in order to do the things that are required of them at work. Now, here's the lie that's going on here. Here's the thing that King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to believe, but it's a lie. King Nebuchadnezzar wants these men to think that they are in his hands. And... King Nebuchadnezzar wants them to think that he controls their lives. And what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know is that their boss doesn't control their lives, their heavenly father controls their lives. The question this really comes down to for us, right, in our workplaces, because we've got jobs, we've got pressure to conform, we've got pressure to walk away from our Christian faith and our Christian convictions. The, the, The question that this really comes down to, and this is so important, the question this comes down to is, do we have to sacrifice our Christian faith, Christian convictions, in order to receive the blessings of God? Do we need to sacrifice Christian faith in order to continue to receive the blessings of God, a job and an income? Do we have to sacrifice or not? And as we're going to see in these next verses, uh, huge verses in the lives of these men, huge confession of faith, this needs to be our response to the pressure that we face to conform, to go against our Christian faith. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. You can stop trying to to argue our way into following your little rules here because it's not going to work. We've already made up our mind. Before we ever got to this point where we're standing before you and our lives are on the line and the fire is burning and the smoke is rising, before we ever got here, we already knew what our answer would be to this question. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, and these guys had no idea what was going to happen here. Many of us know what happens. These guys, it's not like they knew what was going to happen. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. O King Nebuchadnezzar, with all that is on the line here, not a demotion, not a loss of job, but our very lives, O King Nebuchadnezzar, with all that is on the line, what we know and trust is that you do not control our future. Our Heavenly Father controls our future. And He is able to save us. We don't know what He's going to do, but we know that He's able to save us. You know what they're doing here? You know what I think is running through their heads right now? If we could read their thoughts, and again, I'm reading into this a little bit, but I think if we could read their thoughts, the things that would be going through their head right now is, you know what, O King Nebuchadnezzar? We are not here today standing as administrators of this city because we're good administrators. I think they would be thinking to themselves, you know what, King Nebuchadnezzar? The reason that we're standing here today is because, you know you know what? You can look back and you can see that it was our God that saw to it that we weren't killed when your armies came into to Jerusalem. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the reason we're standing here today is because we can see that God saw to it in our lives that we, rather than being left there in poverty, we were brought back here to Babylon. And you, you know what? You can see that God saw to it that we didn't die along the way to get back here. God saw to it that we, rather than be made household slaves once we got here to Babylon, God saw to it that we would be put in your little three-year training program here. God saw to it that we would perform well. God saw to it that we would be well-connected. God saw to it that we'd be promoted in this government of yours. God saw to it that we'd be standing here today as administrators and advisors to you. Why in the world would we all of a sudden sacrifice our faith in God in order to somehow continue the blessings of God? Why in the world would we turn our back on our Heavenly Father who's been with us and blessed us and taken care of us and brought us to this day, and all of a sudden the pressure gets heats up, why would we turn our back on Him now He's the one who controls our future. And we know that he is able to save us. We don't know what he's going to do. Right? But come on, king. This is a win-win situation for us right now. You throw us into that fiery furnace, we die and go to heaven, and that's better by far. Have at it. Our God rescues us, and he puts you and your little statue here to shame. This is win-win. This isn't a hard choice. We don't know what he's going to do. But guess what, king? You know what? We're not going to fear you. The idea behind fear, you you fear, you trust in the thing that you generally fear the most, right? And what they're saying is, king, we're not going to fear you and essentially trust in you for our future because you don't hold our future. We're going to fear and subsequently trust And our Heavenly Father, because He's the one who actually controls our future. And He's the one that can rescue us. Do you really need to compromise your Christian faith when it comes into direct conflict with workplace ethics and standards? The same God who was able to save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The same God who did save Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They come out of this fire, they don't even smell like smoke. Is your heavenly Father. And you can trust Him. What is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How does this all turn out? Then King Nebuchadnezzar said verse 28 Come out of the fire. Praise be to the God, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Do you really need to sacrifice your Christian faith in order to follow workplace ethics? Your Heavenly Father is the one who saw to it that you'd be born into this world. It's your Heavenly Father who saw to it that you would be made a child of God. It's your Heavenly Father who sees to it that every single day of your life that you are taken care of, that you are provided for, Come on, it's your Heavenly Father who before you ever came into existence saw the greatest need that you would ever have and rather than sit idly by, did something about it. It's your Heavenly Father who wasn't just able to save you from sin. It's your Heavenly Father who did save you from sin. And it's through the death of Jesus in your place, the forgiveness of sins that are yours, that not only has God provided for you in the past, and He has, but He's also provided for you in the future, and that He's assured you of your eternal life in heaven. Right? Come on. Do you need to compromise your Christian faith when workplace ethics and standards bump up against it? Do you need to compromise your faith in order to receive the blessings of God? In case you're still not sure, the answer is no. Because your God is able to do more than you can ever imagine. Amen. Amen. Please stand. We'll continue this morning with a common confession of our Christian faith. We'll use the words of the Apostles' Creed found on the screen or on page 5 in your service folders.